Richard Whitehead, your first FA Cup final were in 1969. Do you remember a 19-year-old Peter Shilton in goal for Leicester? You know, I, I don't know what I do remember about it. I do remember, because I've written in the introduction, which you just quoted from, I do remember a lot of fuss about David Nish being the youngest captain. I do remember Manchester City's goal would have been in black and white on our TV there. Was that final in colour? Possibly. And as I say in the intro, I would have sat through all the build-up and it's a cup final knockout and all that sort of thing. But of the match itself, I'm not sure I remember much at all. Well, I suppose because you'd been glued to the static for, what is it, eight hours before. Who's yes, idea, absolutely, yeah. Whose yeah. idea was it to make it a cup final TV day? And did it appeal to the family or to the kid? Well, I think the match itself, and this is thing, things we talked about earlier on the cup's place in the life of the nation, the life of the sporting nation. My my mother was no football fan. And generally, on a Saturday afternoon, she would go shopping. She never went shopping on cup final day. It was just, you just didn't do that. And, you know, town centres all over the country would have been unusually deserted on cup final day. That was just part of what it was about, really. I, you know, my mum sat and watched it with us. She wasn't particularly interested, but it wouldn't have crossed her mind. But uh, only the kids, I think, would have sat down at 11.30 to watch, you know, to meet the teams in their hotel, which was always the first item on the agenda for BBC and ITV. Do you have any pictures of the TV coverage of, what is it, Jim Davidson on a team bus or Stan Boardman or something? No, I've referred to that in the celebrities chat and celebrities going into the dressing room, comedians. uh, Jimmy Tarbuck in 1960 with Liverpool uh, went into the dressing room and uh, he tells a lovely story of you know he, he's having a laugh and a joke with the players and, and then at one at some point probably at about 20 to 3 Bill Shankly just nods at him as if to say right time to go now Jimmy and so he walks, wishes them all the best and walks out so yeah though, I, I have alluded to that I didn't find any great one single picture illustrate that but I have alluded to that yeah yeah one of the things that I learned researching the youth cup is that Bobby Kerr who was captain of the Sunderland team of 1973 was never capped for Scotland so how good must Scotland have been in the 70s uh what something that I learned going through one of the books that you edited the Times 50 greatest football matches is that Geoffrey Green said that That match, which uh, Sunderland beat Dirty Leeds, was live theatre with no script. I mean, ultimately, you can pump so much money into the Premier League, as the parent company of the Times did in the 1990s, but you still have two lots of 11 players with all the backstories trying to win a game on a pitch with a ref and a ball that is rounding the goal. And I don't think, from my research, that the 73 final can be beaten. Did you watch it on telly? Ah, the 73 final is absolutely... You, you're right, it cannot be beaten. Not as an upset in a final, I don't think. Although you mentioned Wigan. They were in the same division as Manchester City. The 73 final, people of my age, which uh, your listeners will be able to have worked out by now, roughly. People of my age grow misty-eyed when they talk about the 73 final. It really is the classic, classic cup final for, for my generation unbeatable drama because Leeds were so dominant I know they often finish second but no one expected them to finish second on that day it was 
absolutely spellbinding. And a, a friend of mine who helped with the book, former head of sport at the Times, Tim Hallisey, when we met as new boys at the Times in 1995, one of the first things we bonded over was him being able to name the Sunderland team from 1 to 11, which I couldn't do. I couldn't name most of them, but not from 1 to 11. So for a certain generation, that final is the absolute classic of what the cup is all about. I think it's because of, and I, I kind of kind of did a cod pseudo intellectual view of the FA Cup, but just yeah, good. look at in the, in the email that I sent you earlier. Um, the 1890s and kind of pre-White Horse final, it was all yes. about newspapers and they treated it like the Henley Royal Regatta. It was an event. People would dress up. Even when Watford reached the final in 84, I hear stories of women uh, going up in their best clothes. I don't know if there's any photos of that in the book. Um, I, th- well, the, there is the Elton photo, as we discussed earlier. But, but yeah, people, people dressed up for cup ties, not just the final. Definitely. And a key thing, Johnny, is that cup ties attracted away fans in a way that league, league games didn't. People Before the motorways came along in the mid-60s, people didn't generally travel to away games, but they did in FA Cup ties, which gave the matches an atmosphere of all of their own, really, and, and totally different to a league game. And I do discuss that quite di- in some depth in the chapter on fans. Which I, I can't wait to read. I, I look forward to using my half-price author's discount. But I'm not here to talk about my book, which is out on May the 2nd. We're here to talk about the cup, which is already out. But in the 1920s, football consumption was... Well, there was the football pink, so the newspapers were still there. But it was yes. the radio. It was the immediacy, immediacy of radio commentary, which then fed after Match of the Day learned how to use TV cameras in the 60s to the telly. So the golden age of match of the day was the 70s and the FA Cup was the biggest game of the year because there was no European football on telly. There was the, the European Cup final. Apart from one game, game. yeah. Yeah, uh, and there was, uh, if an English team got to the Cup Winners Cup final or the UEFA Cup final, that might be on too, but that was it. Exactly, no earlier stages. So, yeah, absolutely it dominated and that was one of the reasons it dominated and when people ask, you know, when people discuss or ask me why has the cup, you know, faded from prominence in the last 25 years, well, you know, the, the, the arrival of multiple live games on TV is, is just one of the reasons, but it's a very big reason. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to talk about Sky just because I remember watching the Arsenal-Man United semi-final and it was on Sky because Sky yes. had the rights that year. You mean 1999? The, the 99 called. semi. Um, and it is the last FA Cup fixture in the Times 50 Greatest Football Matches. Uh, is it? Edited you know this book better than me? By you. I, I would be the same. If I edited something, I'd, I'd be in such a rush to hit the deadline and to think of what the kind of 10, 20, 30 that don't make it. But I remember that game vividly. Schmeichel, Giggs. Uh, yes. Is it got, um, and interestingly, Edward Sheringham, because when the lineups are listed, it's E. Sheringham, oh, which I find. The times, well, the times was also e, always E. Sheringham, which we found. And and in, in a thing that amused amused the subs, the sub editors greatly, it always used to be A. Adams in the Arsenal back four, oh, yeah. A. Adams, until we discovered from his autobiography that he was actually Chris and Tony. <laughs> so. Yeah. So he, he was never A. Adams. <laughs> well, Ian Ridley should have 
should have put you straight, although he was working on a rival paper. I've had Ian in. Um, yes. Ian, one great. of the many journalists in the press box, uh, most of whom are men, but I, I, there is a picture of the front page of either the sports section or, well, it'd be the back page, wouldn't it? Um, of, I'll just flip to it. Sorry. Uh, talk yes, amongst yourselves. not at all. I've got my copy here, so I'll, maybe I'll find it first. It's hit Time Sport. Oh, there was a Time Sports section. There was a pullout. Uh, in 99 it's ollie holt doing the report uh lynn truss rob hughes doing color so did you work with lynn i did yeah yeah she was fantastic yeah yeah get her off yeah. the pitch was her memoir about yes, covering right. yeah sport she for did you. this thing of being doing football from but from a completely original angle and from someone who never watched it before, but of course, gradually she became more sort of more more a part of the world. No, generally, then it was great fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. great fun. Uh, at, at this stage, I should probably say that some of the football um, chief football correspondents you work with: Stuart James, uh, Rob Hughes, Ollie Holt, Dicko. I call him Dicko. Matt Dickinson. Um, yes. The year of Martin Samuel. Only yeah. lasted a year. Then came Ollie Kay and then came Henry Winter. And we must also mention Mark Aspland, who could have a book of his own someday and it would be about 2,000 pages of images. Uh, yeah, no, Aspland is a wonderful, wonderful photographer and a great artist and, and, you know, decorated the sports pages of the Times for so many years now. Yeah, well, uh, those names you mentioned, there's some terrific names in there. This is a, a horrible question because it's like choosing between your children. But if you had every football writer uh, writing for the Times, who would you flick to first? Who were your favourites to read? Uh, I'm a great... I, I liked uh, Ollie Holt a lot. Uh, I thought he was a great writer, still is. Matt Dickinson is... Uh, actually, I'm, I'm editing Matt's book at the moment, which you'll... No doubt you'll have him on later in the I, year. If, only if he's got time. This book is actually about United's treble win, which comes out yes, in about July. yes. Yes, so I'm editing that this week. Is it any good? It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, So Matt, I'm a great fan of Matt. Uh, You mentioned Henry earlier, of course. You know, all really, really good names. Do you subscribe to the VC-backed sports website that has just been purchased for half a billion dollars by the New York Times? I do, Ah. yes. I do, The Athletic, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy The Athletic. It's fizzing with great ideas, isn't it? And it, the, the chap at the top of that is uh, was I've worked with briefly, uh, Alex, Alex Kajelski, yeah. uh, and Alex is a uh, you know in in to introduce a bit of football parlance is a midfield dynamo. He's absolutely fizzing over with bright ideas all the time, and, and you can see that reflected in the content of the Athletic. It's tremendous. Next time you see him, bring him an Easter egg because he said that he got addicted to Easter eggs. I think two years ago during the pandemic, he started buying loads of Easter eggs and would just oh, okay. be kind of eating the hollow chocolate eggs. But I don't know if you see him because he's in his ivory tower um, spraying passes around the Athletics newsroom. But Ollie Kay writes for The Athletic, the, the great Danny Taylor, who is the journalist of his age um, yes, and the reporter Danny. there. Uh, and, of course, this is where we bring in Forrest. He's a Forrest fan. You're a Villa fan. And apparently you wrote a book called Children of the Revolution, Aston yes. Villa in the 1970s. Did you enjoy uh, growing up and appreciating football? Um, because I don't know much about Ron Saunders, but how good was a Ron Saunders team? Ron Saunders uh, was a very dour figure for the media 
but his teams were not there at all. He had a Villa team in 1976-77, which won the League Cup, got to an FA Cup quarter-final and finished fourth in the league, which was then Villa's best finishing position for years, which remains my favourite Villa team of all time and now always will be. There won't be one to surpass it. And then, of course, he put to, four years later, he put together a team that won the league. Probably the team that won the league had slightly less flair, but Saunders' teams were never dull. They always had at least one winger. Uh, so although he was a very dour figure and, and unsmiling and, and a real sergeant major in terms of discipline, you know, his teams were not dour at all. So Ron, Ron's the most... Ron is the, you know, Ron's Villa's greatest ever manager without any question of a doubt. Mm. And at that time, to bring the European Cup to Birmingham, was there a parade? Did you go to the parade? There was a parade. Did I go? I don't think You may have been on duty, you may have been working. I may have been, I was working by then. I did go to the championship one the previous year. I went to that parade. Well, extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, we took it, we took it for granted. English clubs won it so often. Oh, it's the 40th anniversary this year, isn't it? It's only in retrospect that we, we realise what an achievement it was. And Forrest's achievement was even better, of course, because they won it twice. Yeah. If you ask Brian Clough, he'll tell you um, how good it was. But he's no longer come to 20 years since he passed away. So that era of football is receding. And we're now in this era where basically a lot of businessmen are trying to turn it into a product for under 30s and millennials whereas all the legacy fans as they're now called uh, are watching non-league so who's your local non-league team i watch a variety of teams but uh, but mainly i watch a team called alsford town uh in the very pretty hampshire small town of alsford where nobody's remotely interested in football the club they play in the Premier Division of the Wessex League, so that's the ninth tier. Crikey, yeah. Or, or the fifth... The fifth of non-league, step five. Step five, well, exactly, Johnny, you're, you're brilliantly informed on this. So they play at step five or the ninth tier. I'm going there tomorrow night, and it's a nice place to watch football, but but you do wish there could be a few more there because the, the town seems to ignore the present that it's got a decent football club in its midst. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn into a copy taker now. Could you spell that for me, please? Alsford, A L R E S F O R D. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what it's most famous for. Uh, it's most famous for the fact that the Watercrest Line Steam Railway ends there or begins there, depending on where you're getting on. It's also famous for the fact that the great cricket broadcaster and writer John Arlott used to live there. So oh, there are nice. two great facts about Alsford. I wish my uh, love of cricket. Uh, went beyond yours because mine is I I pay attention but this kind of Azim Rafiq stuff is just horrible and it needs to clear up very quickly Um, England's World Cup uh, you were the editor of a kind of a a similar book to the World Cup moments it was a compilation of Uh, the Times coverage of the Times coverage which England won by the barest of margins I remember listening in this very seat in 2019 where our New Zealand batsman did so well and uh, was it West Indian bowler, Jofra Archer? Uh, it was, that was extraordinary sport, wasn't it? I think Matt Dickinson wrote that in the yeah. Times the next day that sport doesn't get any better than that. And irrespective of whether you're a cricket lover or not, it really doesn't get any better than that. A World Cup final in which the teams tied and then tied in a, again in a super over. Just extraordinary. Yeah. And I was listening on the radio, so I was doing what um, 
people would have done had John Arlott still been alive. I think it was Jim Baxter yes, who was just amazing. It would have been great to have had John Arlott describing that, wouldn't it? I wonder what he would have uh, come up with, yeah. Um, and there is another book coming out. So after you've looked at Dicko's book, does it have a title, Dicko's book? It's called 1999. Hmm. Which is, that yeah. might well be the price as well, if they're smart. Yeah, but I, I would hope so. And uh, Dicko will be all over the media because he's got a big agent, and this is a book which will... It's actually the second book coming out this year about Man U, because Phil McNulty and the great Jim White are putting one out, and it's about the rivalry oh, okay. between Liverpool and Man United. Oh, I didn't know that. That'll be good. I hope so. Uh, and another book is coming in September, The Times World Cup Moments. And you've just told me it's September. That's my yes. I, that's at the very earliest stage of compilation. Yeah. Uh, when you do these things, really, it's a matter of just reading every absolutely everything, and just seeing what. I mean, obviously, some moments are going to jump out at you. You know, penalty shootouts, 1966 final, blah blah blah. But my, many of the best things are things you don't necessarily expect to find. So it's just a matter of you know hitting the archive and reading and reading and reading and, and looking for those little snippets, really. So how many moments is still to be decided? I see. Um, there are so... There's such brilliant journalism. I actually... I went to university with Johnny Lou, who is now doing amazing things, winning <laughs> oh, SJAs yeah. and... Absolutely fantastic. His piece on Shane Warne was... It was last week was just tremendous. Yeah, and so often he's tremendous. No, he is a cricket fan. He's an all-rounder. He does cricket and he is. football. He is, yeah. And he's, it's just a shame he went to a bad school called Haberdashers, which is the rival to my old school. One thing that has been incredible about the Times coverage of this World Cup coming up is... Yes. Um, hang on, it's, it's Calver and Arbuthnot and Allen, I think, are the three writers. Um, the Ugly Game their book based on the insight coverage which was not bylined um, yes from that moment i thought well i can't watch this world cup no no it, it's it's horrible isn't it it's really horrible oh f- football's well we're seeing this at the moment aren't we at chelsea football's such a minefield really do you do you think it's become think... the the conduit with which to discuss geopolitics which is very strange because rather than talk about dead people we're talking about Men kicking a ball who are paid. Eddie Howe's in a very difficult situation at the moment. But they can't talk about it because they get paid with the money that comes from the owners who da-da-da. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is up to the fans to, as they did with the ESL, and of course Martin Ziegler, the genius Martin Ziegler, whom I think the Times poached from PA, got the exclusive about the ESL, which is just amazing. Yeah, no, uh, Martin's an absolutely brilliant journalist, absolutely brilliant, outstanding, yeah. Yeah, and was, de- and was that was recognised again last week, wasn't it, at the SJA Awards? Yeah, so, he won a hat-trick. Well, he did, yeah, yeah, no, he's a tremendous journalist, yeah. But yes, the, the point, the too long didn't read of there, the stand first of that is time sport journalist brilliant. Um, and I, I've really loved for the last 15 years, I like to say that I only subscribe to the Times for the sports coverage. And the games that, for instance... Johnny Northcroft, whom I've spoken to, said, it's a World Cup final, of course we're going to cover it. But the geopolitics and the football, which is going to be better than it's ever been now. I mean, when you watch FA Cup finals, to go back to the, the subject at hand, yes. the quality of um, play, um, less so when Watford were in the final in 20, whenever it was, 19. 
yeah, that must have been a horrible afternoon. I didn't. Was I going to pay 100 quid to go and see us lose 6 or 20 nil to Man City? I turned off at 4. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. That would have been. It was bad enough watching Villa lose to Arsenal in 2015. That was just awful. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that. Uh, nor, no. nor was I going to mention, was it 2000? Not 2000. Yeah, 2000, lost to Chelsea. Yeah. 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 But yeah, the, the quality of the game um, is getting so much better because the pitch isn't cut up. Would it amaze you to look at these pitches, which famously um, the FA Cup final would be the day after the Horse of the Year competition? Yeah, you've just repeated a myth there. What? You've just repeated a myth there, yeah, yeah. Say it ain't yeah. so, Joe. No, yeah, no, the, the, and you'll have to get my friend David Tossel on to put you right on that, which he does in his book All Crazy Now about football in the 70s. I've had him in. It, it, it's a myth that the pitch was bad in 1970 because the horse of the year show, and I can't remember the details now, I'm, I'm gabbling, but it's, that, that is not correct. But you're right. The pitch, of, the, the pitch at Wembley was generally good because obviously there wasn't any football played on it other than the cup final. Uh, but it was responsible for a lot of injuries in the 50s and 60s because it was too lush and the grass was too long. And then briefly, as you say, in the early 70s, it was pretty terrible. But I think your main point is that the game technically now is just on another level. You know, I, I, I watch Match of the Day on a Saturday night and... I'm fond of saying this, that every week now there are two or three goals, which when I was a kid would have been the greatest goal you'd ever see every weekend. It is just absolutely extraordinary, the technical ability of the players these days. Absolutely extraordinary. Even at the Villa? Even at the Villa, yeah. Well, we had Jack Grealish, uh, you know, we've got Coutinho now. The, the quality is amazing, but that's down to a lot of things, as you say. Pitches, balls, the fact that big, hairy centre-halves can't get away with clattering people now. i tell you another factor as well in that, uh, which wasn't I wasn't really aware of until I asked Tony Cascarino about this, and he said, you don't get games affected by wind so much anymore. Stadiums are so enclosed that wind is not a factor, whereas even in the days when Tony played in the 80s and 90s, stadiums were not enclosed. And, you know, games could be dominated by howling gales. So there are a lot of factors in the players' favour these days, but they are still extraordinarily talented. Mentioning Kaz, I was going to a job in London Bridge. On the tube was a guy who looked a lot like Tony Cascarino, who would have been travelling yes. to the TalkSport studios. And I think I sat next to him, let him be... Because I, I don't know what I would have said, um, but he is—he is an example of the footballer who has become a great writer, and he does tell it like it is in a way that is fact-based. And I hope he gets out to Qatar uh, to cover it because I, I do look forward, especially to this book, The Times World Cup Moments, which you're editing, that's out in September. Meanwhile, uh, this will go out. A few weekends before the semi-finals, which are taking place over Easter weekend this year. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Very strange, because yeah. you'd think that the holiest day of the year, Christ is risen, um, yeah. Liverpool may be playing Man City if uh, the draw goes that way. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I'm on holiday in that, that, that weekend, so it's interesting to hear that. I didn't know they were Easter weekend. No, but I'm sure you'll be fielding lots of calls about this book. Well, I, well 
let's hope so, Johnny. And thank you very much for, for having me on. The... Not a problem. There's one more thing to do. Oh, two more things to do. One is to give you your football library card. Which member of... Well, you can have William McGregor if you want, but which Aston Villa legend do you want on the library card, the icon, the picture? Let's, let's have a legend who never won the cup, whose autobiography is coming out later this year, Dennis Mortimer. Ooh, I would love to know more about him because I only know the name and the, the goals that he scored. Well, you'd have to, you, you must have him on. He's, uh, it's a book coming out later in the year by Pitch. He's a great talker. Brilliant. He's a fantastic talker. Very, very, very articulate. Is he a Brummie? No, he's a Scouser. Oh, even better. Even better. And his WhatsApp picture is a fantastic picture of him, Phil Thompson, Alan Kennedy. Kenny Swain and one other, all of whom grew up in the same area. Terry McDermott. Yeah, Terry All Mike. of whom grew up within the same small area of Liverpool and all of whom won the European Cup. God, that's it's a magnificent a... picture and quite spine-tingling, really. That's a book. Phil Thompson uh, appears briefly in my uh, book uh, about the youth. Yes. Tomo would have advised Stephen Gerrard, surely, recently. Yes, he would, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he would, he yeah. Gerard is so there. I'll have Dennis on my card, please. At, you may, absolutely. But um, there are heroes and pictures, a hundred stunning, evocative photos from the world's greatest football tournament. Uh, there is a chapter called Heroes. Can you put yeah. together an FA Cup final eleven in any formation you want? Well, I've uh, got. I think I've got one in pretty much in the right formation. I've just had to do a little switch at wing half or midfield for the younger listeners. But I think I've got one in pretty much in formation. The so, floor is yours. Do you want? Okay. Are you going to cheer after them? <laughs> I'll let one. the listener. No, okay. Number one, Bert Ragman. Oh, good. Yeah. Number two, Billy Hampson, who lied about his age in 1924. It was he said he was 41, but actually he was 30, only 39. Uh, Ashley Cole, seven times an FA Cup winner. Okay. And then at the back we have Frank Barson. That's my Villa player. Yep. Uh, 1920 it was so dirty that he was warned by the referee in the dressing room before the game even started in, before the 1920 final Bobby Moore yep. West Ham's West captain Ham. in 1964 in midfield we have Ernest Nudger Needham of Sheffield United 1899 Ricky Villa scorer of that famous goal in the, 19, the 1981 replay and then I'm going with four up front yep on the right wing, Stanley Matthews, of course, 1953, the most famous cup final of them all. The Mortensen final. So he, well, uh, in just because Stan Mortensen must have got so fed up of this, the Matthews final, I've got Stan in uh, in the forward Excellent. line playing, yeah. playing alongside Jamie Vardy, who, of course, uh, won the cup last year, but having played in every round apart from the extra preliminary round. I think we're pretty certain no one's ever done that before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then to complete a, as a com- consolation, possibly along with George Best, the greatest footballer never to win the FA Cup, Tom Finney, who Preston who lost with Preston North End in 1954, and like George, ended his career without an FA Cup winner's medal to his great regret. Yes, because it would have been the ultimate prize. All the England caps and all the all the glories of. of various awards, Footballer of the Year awards. An FA yeah. Cup medal is something that punishingly few 
people, never mind Britons, just people now, uh, have won. And when, when I was writing this Youth Cup book, I would always ask, where's the medal? Uh, David Wheater said, oh, it's with my mum's, which I think was a good touch. And of course, Villa will be handing over the Youth Cup this year. They got out in the yes. third round. But um, Louis Barry seems to be doing very well on loan at various places. And um, Yes, I, I saw the Villa's FA Youth Cup win in 1972. I saw the quarterfinal, semi-final and the first leg of the final. And that was a great, great thing. You know, they were tremendously well supported. So the Villa's 72 team had two players who went on to be all-time greats, Brian Little and John Gidman. Yeah. And several who went on to have great careers with other clubs. But most of them didn't, really. So that just shows you... I don't know if with academies and things that's different now, is it, Johnny? Um... Is Is there less sort of... fewer of them fall away? It's difficult with Chelsea because they're assets and they're almost celebrated for how much money they bring into the club now. But um, Norwich are particularly good at using the academy to promote first-team players and keep them in the area. Um, yes. But it, it depends on the coach, I think. And it was fascinating, as, as you can read in the book, all about Jamie Carragher's view, having won the Youth Cup, about what happened at the time of Rafa Benitez. He said, he said in his memoir, while he was still playing for Liverpool that he wouldn't be surprised if scouts were actually at the maternity wards of Madrid and Barcelona hoping to catch a Spanish kid to bring to the academy so that they could yes. replace yes. scousers there. But it's Cara's very interesting. And he's, he's uh, doing very well with Chris Bascom at The Telegraph, who uh, Chris helps yeah. Cara write his columns. But yeah. um, this football library has been open for two years. And I've got something called the Vardy Line. So any mention of Jamie Vardy makes me think of what I thought after he, well, after I'd read his book, which is that his agent must have been in the room with him while he was telling his co-author about it, because his agent is name-checked about every 10 pages. But what a story. It is a brilliant story. Um, and it, it is the, I'm sure Dennis Mortimer's book is above the Vardy line, but so many footballers' memoirs fall below it, because the stories aren't interesting and there's a lot of bants. But... Yes. Jamie Vardy is on the cover of your book, um, the player who subsists on a diet of Skittles and Red Bull um, and vodka Red Bull. He's on the cover uh, holding the trophy and then the latter half of the cover is, is it the Villa team of 1897? No, Sunderland, 1937. Ah, brill. The, the North and the South. The, the only picture in the entire book not chosen by me. It was chosen by the designer who just wanted a wanted an old picture to contrast with Vardy, but also wanted one, as designers do, to sort of cover the... Fill the page. Yeah. Fill the bottom of the page to allow the white space to breathe at the top of the page. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it looks great on a shelf and will look good on your coffee table or football library, your own personal football library, uh, as well the Times 50 Greatest Football Matches... Uh, forward by Henry Winter, edited by Richard Whitehead, as well, the Times World Cup moments, which is being edited. Um, Compiled it, uh, not quite even as we speak, but not far off. So that that moves you to summer, and then then will you retire? Uh, I've got a cricket book to do after then. Oh. Uh, so, subject to be decided. Well, that's something I'd love to get into, cricket literature, but in... It used to be that cricket literature was so much better than football literature. And one of the great things about the last, even, well, since Fever Pitch, which is 30 years old this year, 
Um, yes. The football literature has got better and better and better. Um, it has. It definitely hasn't. And cricket, it hasn't necessarily got worse, but there's a lot less of it. Yeah. Which, which is, is yeah. It may be because cricket's now beneath the paywall. The thing is, Johnny, is that, that, you know, people are now less interested in the autobiographies of leading players because the leading players are not well-known outside of cricket, are they? Yes, whereas someone at every, well, every Christmas season, there are players putting out books that you wouldn't think they need them. And I'm about to listen to a podcast called The Football Book Club, which looks semi-seriously, but with love, at footballers' autobiographies. And it's part of the ACAST stable. And I I hope they talk to Dennis Mortimer. I'll put a word in. Yeah, do, please. Yeah, Dennis, I'm not sure when it's out, but Dennis is a fantastic talker. Very opinionated, very, very articulate. And I'm, I might have to ask you for Dicko's uh, details and to get on the... I'll ask yeah. him what he thinks about reincarnation. <laughs> yeah, too. He'd like that. That's a good opening gambit. He yeah. sti- well, he yeah. still thinks, just to, to finish on Dicko, he doesn't think Glenn Hoddle in his, last, his book last year did himself any favours at all. He said he was like, no, he mis- no. misquoted. No. no, no, exactly. No, he didn't. Those two are never going to... Uh agree on their version of events are they but, no. but Matt's Matt's shorthand notebook is in the Times archive so where is that? that where is the Times archive well it's not open to the public but it exists and you know they do keep objects of interest from that paper's history including Matt's shorthand notebook so there you are you can ask him about that uh, spectacular. thank you very much and thank you for popping by to drop your books off at the football library up the villa I don't know where you want to finish this season, 10th? Uh, I think where we are. I looked at the table after yesterday and thought where we are is about as high as we're going to get. So we'll have to make do with that, really. The half of the fun of being in the Premier League is being run well and Villa are one of the best run clubs in the division. You've got the money, you've got the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. After years of not being, they are finally, and that's very reassuring, yeah. And who knows, 2023 could be the year that the FA Cup is clad in claret. Wouldn't that be marvellous? <laughs> that wouldn't that be marvellous? Just like the library! Just like the library!